Mana 3 Media. Okay, look, we're all fascinated by other people's stories. People we know, complete strangers. It makes no difference to us. We're here for it. We love to consume other people's stories. But if they can move us, ah, now that's the stuff. To keep a moving story both alive and celebrated. This is Story Preserve. I'm David. And I'm Justin. Today, we're telling the story of Paul Cohen. And uh, Justin, Paul's your guy. Yeah, Paulie is a friend of mine from high school, actually. Did you guys get in trouble together? No, we were pretty good kids. If I asked him, would he say differently? He might have been a little more trouble than me. No, I'll so follow him. Up. I'm going to see if, if he agrees. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Um, but he and I actually um, played in a band together in high school. We reconnected because we started playing a show together in our hometown just to kind of get to hang out and see old friends and just play music together again. And so we, it's been wonderful to reconnect with him. And uh, But he recently has gone through some tough stuff through the pandemic. Um, he was diagnosed with lymphoma and um, he's had an idea to record an album in the past and just it has never worked out and so just wanted to get his story. This is one of the early recordings that we actually went after. We chose people in our lives that we had interest in helping tell their story. I didn't even know. Like I didn't realize he spent five months in New Zealand. I love that. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy Paul's story. It's funny what a substantial part of my life music has become. You know, my father's a musician, you know, surrounded by guitars. You know, my dad had six or seven guitars laying around the house. And, you know, I, I feel like I grew up in a house of music. My, my, my mom, she had heard me sing a little bit along in the car to songs or whatever it was. And she said, you know, I really think you should go, you should go do choir. I ended up doing that my freshman year with David Priestep, you know, somebody who taught you a lot more about life than he did really teach you about singing. We traveled, we like we went and saw musicals in Toronto and we went to New York City and you know, we got to sing and we went to Broadway and I think I found myself in all these leadership positions in my life, you know, through work and and when I think of the type of leader David Priestep was, we just didn't ever want to let him down. A great friend of mine, his name is Kevin, had a mutual friend named Justin, and was starting a band. And I was like, this is it, yeah, I'm, I want to be in the band. He's like, oh, what do you play? And I was like, I'm a drummer. And he's like, I didn't know you were a drummer. And, and I said, well, I'm not, but, you know, I want to learn. So this band, so it's called Billy's Itch, played all the Smashing Pumpkins records, some Nirvana, towed the wet sprocket, played a couple parties, played a school dance. And I remember us watching this video afterwards, and, and I remember the... The guitarist looking at us and be like, oh, we forgot the tune. <laughs> I went to Central Michigan University, and I feel like all of a sudden I was embraced with community. I mean, I fell in with the hippies. You know, we had this little community of people who, who grew up admiring the Woodstock VHS, peace, love, and music. And if I were to draw out a little life map and say, okay, here's a turning point, right? Here's one of my big turning points my roommate Nathan and a friend of ours named Corey, we decided to go out west. This is what people do. We all read Kerouac and, and wanted to do this on the road thing and um, did this whirlwind tour. It was the literal first time I ever went backpacking. And if I'm going to talk about training wheels and being adults, here's me lifting them up a couple notches so they're not always touching the ground, but now I can lean a little bit and got to see what was beyond the fence. 
and I learn about this outdoor recreation program, I get to say that I got my, my degree in outdoor and environmental recreation helping people find their potential in the outdoors. You know, we did a lot of, you know, facilitation and ropes, scores, climbing, you know, like we're wired as humans to, to love and adore the peace and quiet and the woods and what it brings, you know, like we're wired to stand in a circle and share. You know, I hear about Carrie from a lot of friends. Next to the library on the, at the university, there's this kind of little grassy knoll and I finally met this girl and just was pretty enamored with her immediately. You know, she's just a magnetic, really cool gal. And so Carrie's in this outdoor program as well. I feel like my collegiate university experience gave me this ability to love a little bit deeper, to be a little more open, to, to be vulnerable, to see the love I see in the world. And then it also brought me the love of my life, right? You know, there's nothing better that's ever happened to me than meeting Carrie. I'm thinking of my senior year. I am... Involved in this band, Professor Marvel and the Fourth Quadrant, a 10-piece funk band. So in this group, I was the, the lead singer. All the guys in the band had on black suits, and, and I would wear these flashy, like I'd have a gold suit or a silver suit. And I really remember this little turning point of like, you know, when you're singing Brick House or when you're singing classic big funk band tunes, when I'm singing and the crowd is singing I Wish, they're really singing Stevie Wonder, Right. And, and when we got to the point where we were singing some of our own tunes and I'd look at the crowd and there'd be people singing along with me, I realized like they're only singing, they're singing me, you know, like, like the only person who's ever sang this song has been Polly. So I remember having a really fond attachment to that, you know, like the, like you start craving that. I don't think that any of us really looked at it with like, yeah, we have the potential to be really big and famous with this, but I think we all got closer to like, but wouldn't it be nice if we could? And I realized as I'm nearing graduation that I don't have any clue of anything going on. You know, I've, I've got this band. I've got an outdoor rec degree. I don't really want to, I can't go be a, a backcountry guide while trying to be in this band. And, you know, I, I don't want to break up with my girlfriend. And so this band is all moving to Detroit. Um, changed everything about my life in one go. Like I graduated school, you know, quit this band, um, I, I sold and bought a different car and I moved up north. I moved to Petoskey um, because Carrie had found a gig in Petoskey. We had, between us, we had two grand and, and we were filthy rich, right? We were like, we've got all this money. Like, why don't we travel? We were on the road for about two months in her Toyota Corolla, went up through Vancouver Island, um, up and down the coast. We were playing Frisbee on the beach in Oregon, and I convinced Carrie to check out this town that we had heard was really cool called Ketchum, Idaho. Got in the car, drove up to Ketchum. I remember when we were pulling in town, I'm like, oh, there's a, Carrie, I think there's a ski hill. And then we find out <laughs> it's just like, a, it's like, well, like the first destination resort ever invented. Like the only reason people know of Ketchum is because of skiing. We had just heard it was a fun town. It's just this, this really magical experience for us. And we were sleeping in a tent. And we were freezing, and I went into a ski shop right when we pulled into town, being friendly, chatted up the owner, and the, the guy said, hey, do you want a job? We made a hard phone call to our parents that this wasn't just a trip anymore, but we were going to move out west. And I think it took us about two weeks to find a furnished studio apartment. And then I, I talked a guy into letting us rent uh, this little cabin on a creek, and then there's this river that ran right through. and. We got our dog, George, our golden retriever. So 
I took her up on this mountain pass and heart beating out of my chest. I got down on one knee and asked her to marry me. And she said, yeah, of course. And um, so we got married. Uh, we had a destination wedding in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And um, we had packed up, we had sold everything from Ketchum. Uh, we spent two weeks in Fiji. And then we flew down to Auckland in New Zealand and spent five months and did the van life thing, traveling around New Zealand. We still had this bug in our ear that we wanted to change the world and wanted to start this nonprofit, wanted to start this program centered somewhat around sustainability and somewhat around personal development and, you know, how do you leverage the outdoors to discover your potential? And that pulled us to Vermont. Had some mild success, uh, but at this point, it was right as the big recession hit. And so starting a nonprofit and trying to get people to donate and trying to run nonprofit world just doesn't work very well. And we missed our family and um, Vermont was really expensive and kept thinking about Michigan. And I feel like like in that moment, we were like, well, not only do we need to be back in Michigan with our family, but let's start one. We started in Kalamazoo and put all this time and energy into the little ranch my mother-in-law grew up in. Um, we fixed it up to get it on the market at the same time that we found out Carrie was pregnant with Levi, our first. We were very graciously able to purchase the home. So I found myself as a marketer. I work for the um, Western Michigan University. I'm the creative director for the foundation. I get to work with experts, which has been a really fun thing for me. I'm not carrying the weight of this organization. So I'm here for a couple of years. You know, we're hearing about coronavirus and COVID and this in this global pandemic, and now all of a sudden it's here. And school shut down, March 13th, 2020. I got to go in the hot tub with my kids over lunch breaks, and I got to watch my kids for a year grow. You know, I, I missed a lot of the young years of my kids' lives. You know, now I get to live it in real time with them. Like, this is awesome. You know, I missed my family. I missed playing music. And I realized in that moment that I had an old idea to write an album that I hadn't done anything with. So I've never had any luck writing music. And so this idea for this concept popped up that I thought like, well, you know what I could do is I could just pick a character from a movie and then I could write a song from their perspective. And then it doesn't have to be about Polly. And now I can just focus on the song. And then because I can't ever make anything easy on myself, then I decided, why would you just do one song? Because you could just do a whole album. You know, and then it could be multiple songs and you could just apply it to different movies. And what if the chorus has to be a direct quote from the character in the movie? And what if the album's order is in the years that the movies were released? And mind you, at this point, like I've never written a song, <laughs> you know, so it probably meant that I, it went nowhere. I think one of the cool things about when COVID hit, like I remember hearing about what do you do with this extra time on your hands? And and so kind of applying that concept to me here all these years later, I couldn't ever get that project to work before. Why don't I try it? But what I've been recently challenged with is a little murky. I had this kind of shelf of pain at like my rib cage down that just was really constant pressure. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was something I hadn't felt before. It felt scary. And um, I had a conversation with, with my PCP, and she drew up a ultrasound for me. I remember kind of praying on my way in that, like, oh, man, I hope I don't get COVID. And then it was a younger tech, and she was slow and meticulous, and I just kind of chalked it up to her being new. 
she goes and gets her boss. Her boss comes in. It takes even longer, um, you know, and so it's 2020 and you have these apps on your phone that, that you get your lab results faster than you get a call from your doctor. And so, you know, four or five days later, I look at my phone and in the movies, when, when people get their cancer diagnosis, they, you know, they're holding their wife's hand and they're at the doctor's office and they get this awful news. And, you know, for me, I'm scrolling on my phone and I see these uh, masses are found. One of them is up to 20 centimeters, you know, which is, you know, like a, like a football. The floor fell out. It's just one of those things you don't want to read, you know. You have to wait a week for the results. Then you have to get on the schedule for the next thing. And so it just drags, right? And I, I just remember talking to Carrie and just being like, I can't believe this is moving this slow. We haven't gotten the biopsy yet. We don't know what the results are. And it was really dark. It was scary. On our anniversary, uh, I got a call in the morning from my PCP. Uh, biopsy's back. It is aggressive B-cell lymphoma. Uh, I've referred you to the West Michigan Cancer Center. If you don't hear from them by next Tuesday, make sure you follow up because it is an aggressive form and we need to get in the system. And like half an hour later, uh, my oncologist calls and he says, this is a fast-growing cancer. He said, I want you to come to the ER. He said, you know, Paul, if you come in right now, we can do all the tests that you need to do prior to prior to chemotherapy to make sure that your body can tolerate the chemo. And he said, because I'd like to start you on chemo on Monday. I've so poked and prodded over the five days that I was in there. You know, I had, I had multiple CT scans of the chest and the abdomen and the pelvis. I had heart echo. I had a brain MRI. I had a, um, you know, I had a, a lumbar puncture. I had a bone marrow density. And I learned when I was there that I had stage four lymphoma. Um, what's really cool about it at this stage of the game is it's terrifying and it's scary and it's not anything at all you want to go through. But because we now know what it is, like the darkness went away, right? The scare, the fear, you know, the way the world treats a cancer patient is the way we should treat the world. You know, in this time of darkness, the love, the gratitude, the the pouring that people do on you, like, it's absolutely, perfectly the most present I've ever been in my life, you know? And I thought about, like, okay, well, there's one overweight, bald guy in our house <laughs> that, that can handle this, you know? Like, if cancer's going to strike my home, this is where I want it. I realized when I shared a walk with people and I got to talk with my friends and I got to hear their voice, uh, it, it just gave me life. It just gave me, it just gave me everything, you know, like it was, it wasn't dark, you know, it was light. The more I talked about it, how great this love was, the more excited I was to share it with the next person, have the next conversation. And were there valleys? Of, of course, you know, did I have a nine-day stretch where I couldn't stand up because of a spinal headache from a lumbar puncture? I did, you know, but I realized how important my tribe was. Gates unlocked, full force, I ran to music. I thought this was going to be fun to dust off this album concept thing. But with my diagnosis... It gave me artistic purpose. It gave me an outlet. It gave me a distraction. You know, using a word like proud is, is kind of a fickle thing, right? Like, what am I proud of? Like, when faced with the biggest challenge of my life, 
I worked really hard to make something beautiful. Like I was worried locking myself down in the basement and not watching my kids grow and not being there for my kids when they needed me, not being there for Carrie when she needed my help. The project felt selfish in that way. And there were some nights when that would creep in and I would ask myself that and I would hang it up and I would go upstairs and I'd go play. There were some nights when I'd hang it up and start walking up the stairs and then I would hear my heart beating and my eardrums from the prednisone and I could hear the kids screaming and I, and I would turn back around and go back and be like, nobody needs Polly to come in and add anything to this right now. Um, I finished it. Every shade of blue. Buttoned it up. Clouds baked in sunlight vanish from our flight From the seat I see And only you but we The power between us my life is in your trust It's just you and me Any other feeling we hold for now Focus on the motions to leave the ground Any other questions before we go Radio ahead just to let them know I hear you say over, but you should know that I'm over too After my January 6th chemo, I had a second PET scan. So a few weeks after that, I go in for another biopsy. And it was cancer-free. And I... I just exploded. <laughs> like I've never, I've never cried like that in my life. I mean, it was ugly. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad nobody was watching me because I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And, you know, my victory lap has been compressed to some degree. You know, I mean, there's fear in my veins as I sit here. Um, I do have abdominal pain right now, um, which has been pretty scary this week. If I worry about it too much, I'm going to go through it twice. The likelihood of getting good news is even higher, I think. It's about meeting the world with, with what you want it to be. I'm so lucky and I'm so blessed to, to, have, to have such a phenomenal family. And I'm so lucky and blessed to get to experience this world again through my children's eyes, right? Like it's, it's the questions they ask and it's the you know, the, the little sweetness and the hard parts and the challenges. And I think we've seen a lot of fathers who haven't been able to play the role well. And I know that I second guess everything I've done all the time, you know, that I, I shown up to too many fires with a gas can instead of a fire extinguisher. And I think I've done a lot of work in my life to suppress that and to keep that calm. And, you know, I watch what Carrie does as a mother and she finds it with grace. She finds it with patience and uh, Carrie's a saint. I got so lucky to marry that woman. It's amazing to love something as deeply as the way I love my children. Like thinking about Levi, you know, like the kid who made me a dad. He's just brilliant, a reader. A couple nights ago, we got in the hot tub, just he and I, and all of a sudden we're talking about time travel and black holes and, you know, all this interstellar space stuff. And, you know, we're talking about Stephen Hawking and physics and, you know, like, like he's just really scientifically minded and really curious there. Um, I think even I have something really special and 
you know, like, again, she's my baby. She's, she's sweet. She hugs you with every atom in her body. You know, like she latches onto you and just, you know, talking about Carrie buckling down. Like it's, it's the way that Eva hugs, you know, she holds you like a, like a baby monkey on her, on the mother crawling through the jungle, you know, like it's like, she's holding on for dear life. You know, as parents, we're trying to, to equip our children to face the world a little differently than how I think we were raised. And I know from how my parents were raised and my grandparents were raised and getting a chance to be interviewed like this, I don't have a way to say to my children what they mean to me, how much they mean to me. You know, if they get to watch this 30 years from now, you know, I think I just need them to hear that I've had a really blessed, fun, amazing life. And I've been really proud of all the adventure. I've been proud of all the laughs. What I'm most proud of is them. Well, there you have it. When you meet Paul, you you feel like you're fast friends with him mm-hmm. um, because of his personality. And then his outlook on life through this cancer diagnosis, which was light and love, um, you know, going through something so scary and, and dark. Um, but to have that perspective um, is, uh, is is highly attractive. Story Preserve has these ideas that we kind of want to live by. And the one that we want to share with you all today is that nothing in life is wasted, right? There's nothing in your life story that is mundane or trivial or even just limited to a memory or a regret. No, but even in those moments, like there's there's opportunity for growth. There's opportunity for re- reflection. Yeah, nothing in life is, is wasted. It's all usable. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Paul Cohen's story. We hope that you enjoyed it. And uh, until next time, just remember, a story told is a life lived. We hope you enjoyed the show. Check us out on social media. Go to Instagram at story underscore preserve. And you can also go to our website and watch some of our highlights. That's storypreserve.org. And ask yourself, what story do I want to tell with my life? Maybe we can help you with that because we would love to help you articulate your story. And don't forget, click subscribe, tell a friend about us, keep listening, and you're going to love the next one.